morning, church. How are we today? Good, very good. You know, one of the uh, benefits of studying books of the Bible in order is that um, the, the Word will take you to places that you would normally not go to. You know, when you study everything that God says in His words, there will be some uncomfortable moments, and, but they are needed moments. Today we're going to study um, one of the most famous passages in the book of John. It's a, a, a verse that it's not only popular among Christians, but it's uh, quoted by a lot of non-Christian speakers. And I'm talking about John chapter 8, verse 32, where it says that you will know the truth, and the truth, well, like 20 of you know it, so it's not that popular after all. <laughs> <laughs> and the truth will set you free. You know, that, that verse is quoted very often because it promotes three of the most uh, important values that society uh, upholds, knowledge, truth, freedom. You know, no one wants to be known for the opposite values, ignorance, lies, and slavery. Uh, but, you know, the fact that that verse is so popular and so quoted should make us think a little. You should really consider this because when Jesus said these words, the people that heard it, didn't like it at all. Actually, they got so offended by what he said that they wanted to kill him. So you have to ask yourself, is it that you truly understand what Jesus was saying when he said these words? Or could it be that we're not really understanding all the implications of his words, and that's why we like them so much? I think that a lot of uh, speakers would stop quoting this if they understood everything that he meant, because what he meant were truths that make people very uncomfortable. Uh, it's not that we preach to try to make you uncomfortable. What it is is that the gospel of Jesus Christ confronts you with realities that are deeply uncomfortable to confront. And that's exactly what happened when Jesus said these words. So I'm going to read um, from chapter 8 of the book of John, verses 30 to 47. We're going to focus on the first few of those verses but I want you to hear the, the, the context of what happened there, okay? So starting in verse 30, it says, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offsprings of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works, of your, the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, 
and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Uh, let's pray. Father, um, I just thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. And I thank you, Father, that you love us so much that you're willing to confront us with this truth. I know these are not easy, Lord, so will you please humble our hearts and help us hear what you have to say to us. I ask this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So what is it that offended so much these Jewish people that they wanted to kill Jesus? See, what happened there is that Jesus made an evaluation of who they were, and that evaluation was very different from what they thought of themselves. These people understood perfectly well the implications of his words. This is why they answered this way in verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? See, when Jesus says to you, the truth will set you free, what he's implying is that at the moment you're not free. You're a slave. And these people not only saw themselves as free people, they were proud of being so free. Obviously, they were not talking about political freedom because Jewish people knew perfectly well that their country had been a slave to many different countries. They were slaves to Egypt, to Babylon, to Medes, to the Persians, to the Syrians, and at that moment, to the Romans. But they were talking about spiritually or religiously speaking, they considered themselves free men because they were offspring of Abraham. God had made a covenant with Abraham You know, they, they knew that because of that, they were the chosen people of God. So they were worshiping the true God. So they were not enslaved like the pagans were enslaved to worship false idols. So how dare he tell them he's going to make them free? It's almost an insult to spiritually call them slaves. Just remember that just a few minutes earlier, these people were listening to Jesus very happy. You know, in verse 30, it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So they were liking his words. And, and verse 31 says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. It was these same Jewish people that got so angry. So what happened? See, what happened is that Jesus put his finger on the sore. Jesus makes them see that what they think of themselves is not the truth. See, many people have a very good opinion of themselves. And, and the problem when you think that you're a great person, the greatest catch in the world, is that the gospel is going to be very offensive to you, especially when it comes to freedom. See, the, the pride that these Jewish people have about being free is not unique to them. It's not unique to the Jewish people. Every person that feels free usually feels proudly free. Have you noticed that? You know, the, the people uh, say things like, no, 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 I, I am a free thinker. You know, I, I have an open mind. I have been free. You know, that's, that's part of human nature because we don't like oppression. I don't know if you know this, but most national anthems, you know, promote or proclaim the freedom of the country. You know, the, or the land of the free, says the national anthem of the United States. Mexican anthem is the same. I, I don't know if you knew this, but 
the only country whose flag has a Bible is the Dominican Republic. At the center of their flag, they have a Bible. And the Bible is open. And according to the Constitution, do you know where it's opened at? John 8, 32. The truth will set you free. Many countries proclaim their freedom. And listen, politically speaking, you are free. But do you think that the United States, Mexico, the Dominican Republic, and all these countries that proclaim their freedom are full of free people, really? Politically, maybe, but not in the sense that Jesus is talking about. Listen to verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Do you think we're surrounded by free people? Well, by slaves. See, we have been enslaved and we don't even notice. And this is the slavery that Jesus is talking about. That has nothing to do with national sovereignty or with something external. You know, you can be a citizen of the most autonomous country in the world and yet be a slave because this slavery operates inside of you. It controls your desires. And this is why it's so hard to detect. So if I was inside a jail, you know, if I was chained to a wall, it would be very evident to me that I am not a free man. But the slavery that Jesus is talking about is really hard to see because it works through our desires. Think of it. Think, think of what sin is. See, when a person sins, a person sins because they want to sin. It's not being forced to sin. Since, since that person is doing what, what, what she or he want to do, it gives them a, a, a sensation of freedom. I can do whatever I want. But that's just an illusion. That's not real freedom. See, this concept is so important that I put this in your notes, and I hope that you take this with you. People are not free when they can do what they want. People are free when they desire and can do what they should. Think of the amount of times that you want to do what you should, but you end up doing what you shouldn't do, but is what you truly want to do in your heart. See, let's talk about certain things so you can see this as an example. Imagine a young man or woman who starts smoking or drinking. Uh, anyone here that has smoked in their lives? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I did it in the earlier service and like three people raised their hand. If you ever smoked, you know this. The first time that you lit a cigarette and inhaled, you almost got sick, right? You go, <laughs> and then you thought, I have to keep going until my body gets used to this, right? I mean, you had to go through hell so that your body would like smoking. You know, the first time that you tried a beer, you were like, this is like just let's try it again. Right? Let, let's keep going. Because this is what happens. The first time that you do something like that, you feel free. You think, I broke the yoke of authority of my parents. I'm free now. And what you don't notice is that nicotine or alcohol are starting to create a dependency on you that it's going to take a lot of work to get rid of it. See, every time that you smoke or you drink, you're doing as a free person. But the want to do it is not the want of a free person, but the want of a slave. You know, every time that you smoke, you do it because you want to, but why? Because you're enslaved. 
You know that smoking is harmful to yourself, drinking is bad for you, and if you make any calculations, you'll know that you're going to spend a fortune if you continue to smoke and drink, and yet when you try to stop, you realize that you can't. It becomes a battle. You know why? Because that desire in your heart clouds your ability to reason. And this is why people that otherwise are very smart make stupid decisions. Do you know doctors that smoke? Isn't that the weirdest thing? I mean, if anyone should know how harmful it is to smoke, should be a doctor, but there's doctors that smoke. Why? Do you think that they smoke because they're free? Or because they're slaves? They have been enslaved. And this, of course, not only applies to things that are addictive. Every sin, Jesus said, enslaves you. If you practice sin, you're enslaved to sin. So it doesn't matter how free you feel, you know, living completely away from God. The truth is that you have been enslaved by your sin. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. And the worst part is that the more you repeat your sin, the more they enslave you. You know, there's a few reasons for that. First of all, when, when you have that desire and you obey it, what you're doing is you're strengthening that desire more and more. You're going to feel more urgency to sin again. See, when we're tempted, what we feel is kind of like a pressure. You know, we start feeling this pressure, this want to sin, and you're trying to control it, but you feel the pressure, and you think wrongly that if you sin, you're going to release the pressure. But it's the opposite exactly. Because if you sin again, it's just going to get stronger. You know, so, so, so you're trying to release pressure, and what you're doing is creating more and more pressure. I don't know if you've ever seen this in the Bible, but in Proverbs 23, the Bible describes an alcoholic. Let me read it for you. I know you're dying to hear it. Proverbs 23, verses 29 to 35 says this. Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who's always fighting? Who's always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. Don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations and you will say crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast. And you will say, they hit me, but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know it when they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can look for another drink? Isn't that slavery? See, the alcoholic's nose it's harming his body. He's going to get in trouble. Nothing good is going to come out of it. So is that freedom or slavery? And the more the person drinks, the more urgency to continue to drink. And the same thing happens with all sins, pornography, coveting things, gossiping. The more you do it, the more you want to do it. But that's not the only reason why we sin again. The truth is that we sin again because sin creates insatisfaction. See, in the words of the philosopher Mick Jagger, I can't get no satisfaction. And I try, and I try, and I try, and it doesn't work. Because we seem thinking that it's going to make us happy. And you get this super temporary and fleeting feeling of yay, and then it comes this horrible feeling of, why do I feel so bad? 
Why is this so horrible? Why did I do this again? Because sin cannot give you what it offers. And that's why you have to go back and back and back. And on top of it, even if it gave you this brief sensation of, you know, satisfaction, you have to immerse yourself in sin more and more and more because every time it satisfies less. The law of diminishing returns. You know, what you did last week that made you feel a little good, you do it exactly the same and it doesn't make you feel good at all. So you have to do more and more and more and people keep getting into weirder things and stronger drugs and until you make a complete mess of your life. Just think about how incoherent is what we do. You want to do more of what you have already done, trying to find satisfaction that it has never given you. This is the slavery that you have on your heart, that you cannot get rid of it all on your own. And there's something very interesting about it. Have you noticed that when someone sins, then they try to hide their sin? You ask them about it and they go, no, 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 no. Why? Because you know it's wrong. Your conscience is telling you, but you keep sinning. So what do you need? You need someone that will free you from the inside out because it's destroying you. And please, don't start thinking that this is not talking to you. You know, um, if you think, no, 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 this can't possibly be me because I am a religious person. I'm here at church. Think of the fact that this was the case of these Jewish people. They thought they were perfectly fine with God just because they were descendants of Abraham, which is a problem that a lot of people have. They say, I've been a Christian all my life. You know, in Mexico, they say, I was born in a Christian cradle. I was like, where do they sell them? You know, like, I, I would like one. <laughs> These people thought they were very religious. They even said to believe in Christ. But you know why was the case at that moment? In that part of Jesus' ministry, uh, Jesus was very fashionable. You know, it, it, he was super popular because they had not understood all his message yet. They had seen wonderful things. They saw the miracles. He fed them for free. You know, it's very easy to get carried away with the crowd when you're worshiping. You know, he's offering all kinds of things. And, and a lot of people follow him today for the same reasons. They're looking for hope. They're looking for peace. They want to have security that they're going to heaven, that they're inheriting the kingdom of God. Many people just because they want to belong to a loving group of people. But for whatever reason, believing at first is very easy. He doesn't seem to be asking for anything in return. So no one needs to feel bad about themselves. We just feel good. Yeah, Jesus, I believe in Jesus. Everything is great. But he hadn't told them what they most needed to hear. He said to them, you're a slave. And you need to open your eyes. You have a problem with God because you have been enslaved in your heart and you're breaking God's laws which is the same problem that we have today. A lot of people are Christians or they call themselves Christians up until the moment with Christ puts the finger on the sore and points at you and tells you, open your eyes. You might be a slave and you haven't even noticed. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever seen yourself as a slave to sin? Have you ever realized that you have broken God's laws and you need forgiveness? See, if the answer to that question is no, it is very dangerous the position that you find yourself in. 
Because it doesn't matter with what emotion you praise Christ. If you're not aware of your need of salvation, there is no way you have been saved. If you're not aware that you need a Savior, the Savior can do nothing for you. Do you understand why Christ had to become a man, live a perfect life, and then die on a cross as a criminal being innocent? Do you truly understand why that had to happen? Because the problem that we had with God's righteousness was so serious that only Christ could solve the problem. There was no other way. Jesus asked. He said, if there was any other way that we could do this, please, let's do it a different way. But let your will be done and not mine. So he had to do it. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Christmas is not just a celebration. Oh, a baby gift. No, God is telling us, you guys were lost in your sin. You need a savior. So here is one. And we say, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Because you send exactly what we needed. But this shows us that the first step that you have to take in order to be saved is to know that you need a savior. If you don't think you need a savior, then you're never going to be saved. You need to know this. Now, if the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes and you have realized that you are a sinner and you need a Savior, then I have great news for you. Because that is the only position where you can be saved. When you said, I need you, Father. I need to be saved. So the problem is that we're slaves. What's the solution? Let's keep reading. Verse 35, Jesus all of a sudden pulls something that you go like, what? Because he says in verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. What is he talking about? See, when a, when a slave had a good master, he could enjoy some of the privileges of the home of, of the master. But he's not going to stay there permanently. He can be sold. He can be just dismissed. Most likely, what Jesus was talking about here, he, he was making a reference to Hagar and Ishmael. If you remember the story of Abraham, you know, in Genesis 21, God promises the son of the promise. He promises he and Sarah are going to have a son. And a year passes and they don't have a son. Sarah's not pregnant. They're very old. So they think, okay, time's running out. Let's give God a hand, okay? So Sarah comes up with the idea, why don't you just lay down with my slave and then she'll give you a son and that will be the son of the promise. And they have a son which was called Ishmael, the son of a slave. And God comes to Abraham and says like, no, I told you, you and Sarah are going to have a son and that's the son of the promise. So sometime later, she gets pregnant and she has Isaac. But as they start growing, Ishmael, who's older, starts bullying Isaac. So Sarah gets very upset and says, get rid of that slave woman and her son because that woman's son will never share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. So the slave will not stay in the house, but the son will stay in the house. But then look at what he says in verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Here's a change all of a sudden. Because in verse 32, he says the truth will set you free. And now he's saying it is the son who's going to make you free. So what does this mean? It means that when Jesus said the truth will set you free... He was not talking about the truth in a philosophical or in an academical way. Jesus is talking about the truth represented by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
the truth that revolves around the incarnation of Christ and his redeeming works. If you remember when we studied chapter one a few weeks ago with Pastor Mark, the beginning of, of, of the Gospel of John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And look at verse 14 of John chapter one. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Here is the truth. See, a little while ago, I said that the slavery of sin works inside of you through your desires. So if you truly want to be free, you have to be freed from those desires. That's the freedom that you need, inner freedom, not external freedom. And this is why someone has to come and change us from the inside out. You know, we need a change of mind. We need to change our affections, change our will, because that's where we are slaves. See, this change is not just a cosmetic change. It's a change of heart. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do. That's why he died at the cross. See, when he paid for that debt that we had with God, you know, this is exactly what happens in the cross. Jesus, with his own blood, purchased a lot of blessings for us. The first one of them, a new heart for the people that places his faith in him. This is the new birth that he talked about with Nicodemus in chapter 3. You remember, you know, what he's telling Nicodemus is like, it doesn't matter that you're part of the Sanhedrin. You know, if you are not born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. doesn't matter how good you look, what a good reputation you have. That's not enough. Your heart is so rotten, God needs to remake it from scratch. And the only one that can transform your heart is Jesus. If the Son sets you free, then you're free indeed. So salvation comes through a person that refers to himself as the truth incarnate. Chapter 14, Jesus is going to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father if it's not through me. So you need Christ, but you also need to know that you need him. See, how many people you know that have gone to the doctor and said to the doctor, Doctor, I feel so good, I had the need to come and see you. I feel great. Anyone? No. Because healthy people don't go look for a doctor. Who goes and seek for the doctor? Sick people. Now, how many people do you know that they didn't know they were sick, and that's why they didn't go and see the doctor? And maybe by the time they went, it was too late. Have you heard of cases like that? There's millions of people around the world that do that. And that's exactly the problem that we have with us, spiritually speaking. You need to know that you're sick. And if you want the medicine that will heal your soul, you need to know that you need it, and you need to go to the only one that can give it to you, which is Jesus. What does that mean? Well, look at how this passage started. I'm going to read verses 31 and 32 again. And I want you to pay attention to these four things that he says. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is telling to the people that believed in him. Do you believe in Jesus? If you do, he's talking to you. He says, if you believe in me, if you abide 
in my word. That means if you persevere trying to have a relationship with me through my word, you have to go to the Bible not to fulfill a requisite, but to try to search for Jesus. You have to try to find him there and have a relationship with God through that word. And then with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, if you truly abide in his word, you're going to become truly one of his disciples. What does that mean? You're really going to follow him. You know what that means? You know, in those days, when, when, when disciples followed their teacher, it wasn't just the physical act of walking behind the teacher. It was them paying attention to how he lived life to try to emulate that life as much as they could, the best that they could. They would make mistakes, they would fall back, but then they would come back and learn it again and try to imitate the teacher. So we have to obey his commands. What he says that we're supposed to do, we have to try with all our heart to do it. And what's the result of that? Then you will know the truth. You're going to really know what is true. I don't know if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Mark read John 7, 17. I'm going to read it to you again. It says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak of my own. It says, you want to test God? Obey him. Start doing what he says that you're supposed to do and see if all of a sudden you're not start thinking, man, this is great. This is the life. For sure he comes from God. You will know the truth. And when you know the truth, the truth will truly set you free. Not with the freedom that the world offers, you know, not the freedom to do whatever you want. That's slavery. It's the freedom to want to do and be able to do the will of God. He freed you to live for him. To live for his will, which is good, blessing, and perfect. You know why we behave like hypocrites? And, and, and we deny doing the things that we know we did? Because at the bottom of your heart, you know what was the right thing to do, and you know that you didn't do it, and you still didn't do it. People say that the problem is that the Word of God, it's obsolete. It's a bunch of restrictive rules. You know, it's like, how can they expect us to live like that? That doesn't work. Try to imagine this. Try to imagine how would be the world if everyone around you obeyed the commands of God, everyone. Imagine if all children obey their parents, honor them. When the father and mother said, that you have to do this? Yes, father, happily. You know, they would be very obedient if no one ever even considered the possibility of killing another human being. If they saw that as like, no, there's no way. If no one lied ever. You know, anything that someone said to you, you could take at face value because they, you know they're telling the truth. If no one stole, you know, if you could not, you, you didn't have to lock your door, you could leave your things in the front yard, no one would covet your things. If no maid would cheat on their maid ever, wouldn't even consider it. Can you imagine a world like that? You know what that would be? It would be a paradise. You would be at peace. You could trust everyone around you. You wouldn't be afraid of anything. So where's the problem? Why don't we all live like that? People say, the Bible is a problem. It cannot possibly be the Bible. We already established that if we lived by the Bible, we would live in a paradise. So where is the problem? In your heart. The problem is a slave heart. That even though you know 
that following God's word would be the best thing for you, you're enslaved to your desires. And you keep doing that. Freedom is not being able to do whatever you want. Freedom is for you to be able to wish and do what you should be doing. And that can only happen if Jesus frees your heart. If the Son sets you free, then you're free indeed. And you have to remember as Christians, Jesus did not free us up just so that we could hold up the flag of our Christian freedom and live however we want. That's what he came to save us from. At the price of his blood, so that you can say no to your desires and yes to the will of God. Those are the only two options. See, there's people that think that they can be neutral. You know, no, I mean, I'm not going to follow the devil, but I'm not, I don't have to follow God either. Let me read you what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6, starting in verse 16, says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. See, the truth is, no human being is autonomous. You know what that word means? Auto, self, nomos, law. No human being self-ruling. You don't get to set the law. You don't get to say what's right and what's wrong. The law has been established by God. And you can follow it or not follow it, which means you're either a slave to sin or a slave to God. So the question that you have to ask yourself and be honest with yourself, doesn't matter what you say to me or the people around you, whose slave are you? Who's your true master? Because there's no neutrality. Either you serve God against sin or you serve sin against God. You need to pick because you can't serve both at the same time. See, if you're enslaved by your sins, I can guarantee you, you're tired of it. You're tired of the results. And the Bible tells you, Paul continues in verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. You were not allowing God to lead you. He's trying to control your desires to lead them in the right way, but you are not letting him. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you're now ashamed of? These things result in death. See, if you say you are a disciple of Jesus, but you're still enslaved to a sin, you know what that means? That you just keep going back and back and back to the same sin without any concern, and you feel bad after, but your heart is so hardened that you just go back all the time. Well, you're in a very dangerous place. Actually, it's the most dangerous spiritual condition. Because it means that you want the things that Jesus promises and offers his followers, but you're not willing to do the things that he expects of you. Repent, put your faith in him, and allow him to truly be the Lord of your life. You have to be willing to change the paths of the sin for the paths of righteousness. And if you refuse to do that, that is a very dangerous condition because that is the path that leads, says the Bible, to death. You're rejecting the salvation that Jesus is offering you for the love of darkness, for the love of something that is harming you, that you don't even like, that you feel ashamed of, and that's why you lie about it. But if you choose to serve God, look at what Paul says. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result 
is eternal life. Does it mean that we never sin again? We all know that that's not true. On this side of life, we're still going to trip and fall. But see, a person that truly has the Holy Spirit in their heart will be convicted, will be ashamed, will run to God, repent, and try as hard as you can to start living that life. And the moment you start obeying his commandments, you're going to see the benefits of obeying them. And then the path that's going to become stronger in your heart is to live life according to God. But if you don't even want to think about that because you're enjoying way too much the sin that you're doing, then you're trapped, you're enslaved, and you're in danger. I hope that you're going to choose the right side. So I want you to remember, this battle has already been won. He already won it for us. We are free in him. The door of salvation is open for you today. If you're not there, but you're listening to these words, you're on time, you're alive. And as long as you're alive, just remember, Jesus has his arms opened for you. This is why you're hearing this, because he wanted you to hear it. So know the truth. Know the Son, and then you will truly be free. That's the promise. Freedom. Let's pray. Father, um, I know, Lord, that some of the truths that you bring to us sometimes are hard to face. And I know that there must be people listening to these words that know that you're talking to them. And I hope that they realize that the fact that he's speaking to you right now, this clearly is because he loves you. And he wants you to change your ways, to repent of the way that you're living and experience the beautiful free life that he has for you. But Father, please touch the hearts of every person in this room that is enslaved right now and doesn't even know it. And I thank you, Father, for all the people that you have in this same room, hearing these same words, that you have already freed, that we can live for your glory, that we can experience your love and the fact that we drop the shame of everything we did in the past because you paid for everything for us. Thank you for that freedom, Lord. This in your beautiful name, Lord, that we thank you and that we ask you for the people that don't know you right this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.